just go live life. Go find out who you are as a person because I realized I associated myself with just being a dancer. Like if I don't dance, what else do I have to give to this world? And being 28 and thinking that you have no purpose, like that just like broke my own heart. Conversations about the work behind the work with diverse artists from all over the globe. My name is Ruby Josephine Smith, and not only am I the creator and host of this podcast, I am a choreographer and contemporary dance artist based in Tangier, Morocco. This is a podcast in process about process. I am not only fascinated by the creative process itself, but how to have better and more meaningful conversations about it. Join me in digging deep into what it is that drives a person to make art. Before this episode begins, just a quick reminder that most creative processes are unsustainable without some kind of communal support. This podcast as a process is no different. To support Process Piece, please consider contributing to my Buy Me A Coffee page at buymeacoffee.com slash rubyjoe. These metaphorical cups of coffee go directly to the overhead costs of producing this podcast and my newsletter on a regular basis. You can also show your support by rating and reviewing on iTunes or sharing this podcast on social media. Every little thing counts, and I appreciate it all so much. Thank you. So I've had a couple requests from some people who listen to this podcast for conversations with even more dance artists. And if that was you, here you go. This is the episode for you. This is a deep dive conversation between two dancers who love to talk about dance. Acacia DeBat is an absolute joy and is so insightful into both the tangible and energetic world of what it is to live life as a dancer. Here's a bit more about her. Acacia is a contemporary dance artist turned online fitness enthusiast for dancers based in Vancouver, Canada. She loves to create new works, self-produce shows, and encourage other artists to go after their dreams. After six years of running a dance collective, her body had enough of suffering from overuse, fatigue, and compounding small injuries over time. Through the process of finding a personal trainer to help her recover, she started to connect with more dancers with similar stories, and from that created Resilient Dancer, which is a platform that provides dancers worldwide with monthly workouts and support to support their healthy dancing. Check out her website at acaciadebat.com. In this delightful conversation, we talk about Acacia's unusual path through dance, starting with her roots in traditional Polynesian dancing as a link to her family, carrying the history of different dance styles in your body, her love of counter technique and what exactly it is. We geek out a little bit about dance history and we talk a lot about being a dancer as an artist versus an athlete. For you non-dancers, we also still talk a lot about processes that are applicable to all. For example, what resilience means, and not only what it is to be a resilient dancer, but a resilient artist. How an injury forced her to take a break and how taking a pause can affect the creative process in general. And her interest in energy and the law of attraction. I had so much fun talking dancer to dancer with Acacia, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Here is my conversation with Acacia Debat. Well, thank you so much, Acacia, for being here. I'm really happy to have you on Process Peace. Thank you. This is exciting. Of course. 
Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, so I always start kind of in the same place, uh, going back to your childhood. And I would like to ask, what is your first memory of creating something? Oh my gosh. Well, I started, like my father's side of the family um, does Polynesian dancing. Really? So my um, Oma and uh, Opa ran, mm-hmm. uh, or my Oma still runs it, a Polynesian dance studio. Um, here where I'm from. And so I remember being like three and just being in these like really cool costumes Mm -hmm. and like moving my hips, but having no idea how to like move my hips. Um, (laughs) But I remember just creating, just trying to create movement with my skirt Hmm. because you had to move your hips. So I think that's like the very first, if I even go back, creating... I was probably like three or four. That's amazing. And you just have to like wear this little like bra thingy and you're not even like just you're literally so small and you've got these like little pom-pom things. You got to shake them around because that's oh my what gosh. Polynesian female women do is they shake their hips really yep. fast. Um, yeah, I think that's like the first, I, if I just, first image that pops into my head. That's amazing. I don't think I've ever seen Polynesian dancing before now that I think of it. It's funny because... I've been going through this process of kind of unraveling my creative um, upbringing and my Mm, dance upbringing. And I've been connecting, like not wanting to connect with like the female side of Polynesian dancing, but wanting to connect with the more male side because it's, Mm. it's more masculine. It's more, um, it's a bit harder. It's, it's more dramatic. Mm -hmm. It's got like, texture of like just like rawness in it Mm -hmm. and it's not so airy fairy and all like the love it's about like the physicalness and that's like me as a dancer I'm like a lot more physical so I've been like really trying to I've I feel like if I could go back I would be like can I I'd be like just stand up in the front of her and be like I want to do the boys part (laughs) yeah like Polynesian dancing is pretty cool, but the guys yeah. get the really cool stuff. Although, but too. it would be good also to like get in touch with that feminine sensuality with the hips and stuff. Totally, <laughs> but it's really funny when you watch the Polynesian yeah. men stuff; they're just as sensual. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. But There's they just that have those hard hitting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I wasn't a big fan of the huge headdresses. Mm, I wanted okay. to have the fire. Yep. <laughs> How long yep. did you do that for? I did it till I was five. Okay. And then uh, my parents divorced, so you kind of had to, like, not kind of stop. Mm, But I also, funny enough, because my shoulders moved when I moved my hips, Mm. I couldn't progress to the next level. Wow. Interesting. you have to keep your shoulders. So that was, like, when I was eight is when I thought I would go back into it, seven Mm -hmm. or eight. And that's when I think my first um, moment of, oh, no, you can't move ahead because you can't do this. Hmm. That's almost more intense and than ballet. I mean, similar mindset, but... 100%. I was like, oh, I, I can't progress to the next level of, like, performance opportunities mm-hmm. because my shoulders move. And, like, that's a, te- wow. that's a technicality. So, wow. yeah. Fascinating. Was, yeah. So where did your dance go from there? I stopped. I was a kid, and I did sports, and mm. I did crafts and sewing. And my mom was always about, like, just put her into something that she's going to like because mm-hmm. she'll find something that she's going to like stick to. Right. I did gymnastics. I did all like the soccer and the whatnot, but I was very, I didn't like how I got like 
in sports, you were very like separate. Mm-hmm. Boys teams and, and girls teams. And, yeah, yeah. And I was on a mixed team and I really wanted to play goalie because I love to like fall for things. <laughs> yeah. But my coach said, no, I can't because I'm a girl. What? That's I was like, on a mixed get... team. Yeah. I was That's like, crazy. I'm the only girl yeah. here. So yeah. Um, so that was that moment, really mm-hmm. brief and hot. And then my cousins went into dance and I was like, oh, mom, I think I'm going to like that. And I was nine and I took my first jazz class and I was hooked. Amazing. Like I was just, my mom's like, oh, crap, what did we do? <laughs> here we go. There she yeah. goes. <laughs> So did you go on to study dance after that? I did, but um, it's funny. I It was like dance was something I couldn't escape, but I mm. was like, you know, you go through that moment of like growing up and like having to be an adult. So mm-hmm. I thought I was going to be a dental hygienist after high school, which is oh, wow. like, that's, that's a little different. why would you ever <laughs> want to do that? But I got into the Ailey School in New York when I was eight. I auditioned and it was the first first and I think only audition I've ever done um Mm -hmm. and I left university for a semester and I went down and Mm -hmm. I trained and you know after that one would have probably looked at me and said oh you are done because you just got like the crap essentially handed to you it was a very rough (laughs) process but I went and I did the university route of dance here mm-hmm. in BC. So yeah, I did a four year dance degree, but I studied, I always grew up in like Horton, Graham, um, like Lamone okay. practices, and then continued that with the teachers that I had in university were all Graham and Cunningham. Very kind of traditional. Very traditional, modern. very modern. Mm-hmm. Like I, my teachers were like the soloists of those big heavy names, like Oh, amazing. A history of movement lives in my body that um, is slowly going to die out in our dance hmm. culture. And that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. Well, my like the Cunningham company, like once the teachers, like once the company members are gone, like that, that technique no longer technically exists right. in true form because there's that's true. no one that's part of that, uh, that origin anymore. And then seeing, watching how the same program has made shifts to accommodate like this time and era of movement. Yeah. It's, I think it's changing a lot. It's changing so fast. It's changing so fast. And cause like the world is so connected now that we're getting inspired Mm -hmm. so quickly with so many different things. And as a dancer, some, I found it really hard when I was like in the thick of it to feel Mm -hmm. the value of what I was doing all the time. Yeah, exactly. And there's just so many different directions you can go as a dancer now. I mean, you can become like an Instagram famous dancer. You can dance with a company. You know, there's just so many paths to take and then not all of them are attainable also. Yeah, um, yeah it, it can be really hard to navigate, I think. Uh, yeah. But it's really, I'm really interested that you said you have these like histories in your body mm. of kind of these older dancers. And how do you think that affects you now? Do you think that's important for you to carry on? Or is that just something that kind of creates your own base? Yeah, it's so, oh, I've had a hard one. With, I've had a struggle with this one because I've, <laughs> I got hired as a teacher um, mm-hmm. because I have these trainings in me, but I can't teach mm-hmm. them. Really? Because they also have so much um, body uh, fearness in them. Like I got so injured doing a oh, technique God. that I couldn't, at the time, I didn't understand my body enough to, to 
to do a proper gram class without my hip flexors freaking out. Oh, no. Right. So right. Yeah. I have like this internal trauma of my muscles being like, uh, uh-uh, uh, don't go there. That really doesn't feel good after a while. So I can't yeah. teach it. Um, wow. Yeah. Or I've, I've, learned for so many years Cunningham and Graham and Horton I found it really tricky of having these histories in my body because they definitely change how I move but also like mm-hmm. how do I with everything these dancers need um mm-hmm. and being so heavily influenced also by counter technique I've been studying counter technique yeah. since 2015 yeah um Can you explain, I mean, I've done a tiny bit of counter technique, Mm. but can you just kind of explain for everyone what counter technique is? Yeah, counter technique is all about um, directing and and redirecting your body so that you're available for movement. And really a a huge principle in it is releasing unnecessary tension. So Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole process of counter technique. When you watch a class, you're like, oh, people are just like flying around and like all (laughs) willy-nilly on the floor. And and right. but what happens is when you start to actually use the tools in counter technique, there's so much going on in your brain and your body is redirecting to let you go in another direction. Your whole body mm-hmm. is connected to the space and the movement and you can be so unbalanced, but perfectly mm-hmm. um, connected to everything that's going on um god that's such a metaphor for like self-therapy yeah well counter technique brilliantly like puts all of these great tools breaks them down creates a vocabulary around them and then it's a toolbox that lives Mm -hmm. outside of you and you get to pick and choose so i'm like have all of this over here and then i'm you know got all this history of movement over here and then i'm just trying to like what do i need Right. Yeah. Do you feel like you're still in the process of that or kind of how has that created a voice for yourself as a dancer and creator? Oh, yeah. I think I'm just heavily influenced by whatever I'm influenced by. That makes (laughs) sense. Like whatever my interest is in at that moment, like that's what I'm interested in. And that's how I want to express movement. I think my history always lives inside of me. Like I know my positions. I know where it my body is in space I know how to create lines and circles and mm-hmm. and do that but like even right now I'm have am I'm influenced by like grooving and hip-hop mm-hmm. so like nice. creating pieces that have this like internal groove in them mm-hmm. um but it de- I think definitely everything falls through a counter lens even if okay. I'm accessing other tools and techniques I think yeah. just because counter technique I understand it did you... um, I'm so interested. Sorry, no, sorry. No. I wanted to ask you a question because yeah. you were you grew up dancing in the states. Yeah. Um, did you have those same histories growing up, and when you went I, to university? I actually my university was a bit odd. So it wasn't. It was a liberal arts school. So it wasn't a really intensive dance environment. And I actually, I only did two years there, so I also didn't go super deep into the dance department, but it was very improv-based. It's actually one of kind of the founding schools where um, contact improv was created. Oh, nice. Um, So there was a ton of contact, a ton of this kind of like release and flow improv sort of stuff. Um, which was nice, but it was all a little bit samey after a while, if yeah, that makes it sense. Yeah. And so that's that's why I actually started traveling and taking so many workshops in Europe, and that's what led me abroad, is just this huge, wide variety of styles and teachers that were available there. 
And you don't even have to be in a program. You can just jump from intensive to intensive and workshop to workshop. And that ended up being my kind of self-education, actually. I did that. But the kind of the Graham and Horton and all that stuff, I didn't do it very intensively, but I did learn about it in my high school dance company. And we kind of got tastes of it here and there. So I wouldn't say it's as ingrained in me, but it's definitely part of my historical knowledge, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I know because I'm traveling in the U.S. and traveling uh, in Europe, you do meet a lot of diverse dancers that come from the U.S. Mm -hmm. And even like there's so many dance schools there that it's just interesting where Vancouver is very much like a little bubble. And then and everywhere creates their own little bubbles. But I find sometimes traveling to the U.S. like there there's so much of the history that still lives in that country mm-hmm. um definitely that there's definitely more people that way more people that know about Cunningham or Graham because they're like American icons yeah it's it's good that it lives on but I also think there is a little bit more room for innovation in the states too so fair yeah. enough, fair that's enough. my own personal feeling oh yeah yeah <laughs> I wanted to actually ask you about, I read that you got injured in 2017 Mm. and that that had a really big impact on kind of the trajectory of your career. Yeah. Um, So I wanted, yeah, I don't know if if you're right talking about that. Okay. Um, Yeah, I read you had to take off dance for about six months. Yeah. Um, And so I'm just curious because I've had this question a lot for myself and I've talked to other artists about this, this question of, are you still an artist when you're not actively making art? And so it's kind of, yeah, <laughs> we're getting in there. Um, so it's that same question. How did you feel as a dancer not being able to dance? And then how did that kind of shape your view of it afterwards? Oh, yeah. Ooh, where do we even start with that one? Um, okay, yeah. Okay, injury. So mm-hmm. I was that dancer, that artist that uh, was working three jobs. Mm-hmm. I was serving at two different locations. I was teaching dance. Mm-hmm. And I also was running um, my collective that I was a part of for six years before I recently left um, in April of Mm -hmm. last year. And we were dancing about four days a week for about four hours at a time. And then we'd Mm -hmm. go and teach or go and work at our restaurants. I was pretty much going seven days a week, all day, every day. That is a hustle. So yeah, and I, oh, the those hustle days just I can't wait Mm -hmm. until no one ever hustles again um so I was I also was someone who's very high stressed individual I associated I don't anymore but I definitely had the identity of overwhelm and stressed out all the time 24 7 Mm. wow um I didn't have a lot I didn't have a good family work life uh balance still working Mm -hmm. on that one um, mm-hmm. But it was very much of like, Keisha never has time for anything. Um, mm-hmm. And so when you think about all of that, like negative hardness, I was breaking down as a dancer fast. Yeah. And I was only 27, 28. Wow. And I was waking up in pain. I was going to bed in pain. My body ached. Anyways, long story short, we were in rehearsal and something popped in my foot and I pushed through oh, God. until the week before our show that following January. So four months later, um, we were in rehearsal and my bottom of my entire foot was purple. 
the, oh the week God. before a show. And I, I went to a, a health practitioner that's like kind of in like the family friends. And he's like, I need you to go get an x-ray. Like, I, I, this is not good. And I was like, oh, yeah, I have a show in a week. Like, that's not possible. Yeah. Don't tell me what I've done. So I basically <laughs> took a whole bunch of Advil and I got through the show with a purple foot. And I found out the next day that I'd ripped my <sighs> ligaments. Oh God. Um, of my first metatarsal um, off enough that it took a chunk of bone with it. Oh my God. So <laughs> your That's first insane. metatarsal is where you put 90% of your weight when walking through your foot. Yeah. So I had, I was like basically in an air cast for a month. That's wow. not, you're not able to like really move at all. No. And then I was in these really fun shoes. So that kind of cued three full months off of like no physical activity and mm -hmm. the depression sets in. Yeah. Like, what do you do as someone who's used to like working? I had to like quit my jobs essentially. Um, yeah. Work here and there when I could. Life. It was my whole life. Like, Mm -hmm. What do you do as someone who has just all this energy um, and you can't like even stand for 15 minutes without having to like take weight off your foot? Mm -hmm. So, and then it was another three months of building back the strength to walk um, without wow. being in pain. And then I had a show I had to do in June. Oh my God. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so you adapt yeah. You can't bear another person's weight because you're still learning how to bear your own. Um, mm -hmm. And you're flying to Toronto to perform and you get through it. Um, but then you like, you were so those six months prior to that put you in a deep enough hole that you just didn't know where you stood anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I took a couple more months off and then we went back into the studio and Everything was fine, mm -hmm. but the injury of the foot created a lot more compensating issues that I wasn't being aware of. Hmm. Yeah, to the point sure. where I couldn't walk up. I was 28 at the point. I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without being in pain. Couldn't sit for more than 20 minutes without so like really bad, like stick a knife in the side of your hip kind of pain. Gosh. And uh, shins, quads, uh, mm -hmm. all of it started to compound. And so I sought out a personal trainer mm -hmm. and um, he started correcting like functional movement as dancers. We, we put ourselves through the craziest movement that it blows people's yeah. minds, Yeah, but we don't know how to properly pick up a box <laughs> Yeah, or pick up your groceries. Right. We're always compensating um, for things. We're and, always yeah. compensating. And so my personal trainer was like, when you're in here, you're doing it functionally mm -hmm. so that you can do all that weird stuff <laughs> he's like I don't know what you do yeah. but what you're doing is creating you a lot of pain so yeah he's like we have to focus on doing it a uh, basic basic movement mm -hmm. and he asked me he's like if you don't want to be in pain in a year I need you to give me 12 weeks of no dancing mm -hmm. and just straight up rehab wow and I uh, said yes. And that was, it was a, a hard decision in the sense of like, 
I don't know how to do this. Right. But it was also an easier decision because I was no longer living in Vancouver. I was okay. like kind of like geographically separated from the dance world. Okay. Um, but yeah, three, three whole, like 12 whole weeks, three whole months mm -hmm. of just going to the gym five days a week. Wow. And I can say that if I didn't do that, I would be back in pain. Like yeah. I got out of pain quickly. Is it perfect? Do I still have like foot issues? Yes, because there's, I, I tore something right. in like a major part of your foot. Right. That might never but go I away. Know, mm -hmm. Might never go away, but I know how to work with that now. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, injury is not fun and they don't no, talk about it. That's the, I mean, that's really the nightmare. You don't think about it until it happens. And then when it mm -hmm. does, it's just, what do you do with yourself? It's like our body, it's our whole life. It's our whole work and our whole career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that led me down a path um, of actually, I saw when I was in those breaks, how unhappy I was from the hustle mentality, mm -hmm. how burnt out I was, how sick I was always, yeah. how run down I was. And slowly over time, those creative juices really came to a halt. Yeah. It's like there was a point in those two years where I was just like, I do not want to create anything. Hmm. And then that brings up the whole question of like, if you're not creating, are you a dancer? And I mm -hmm. definitely went through that phase and I questioned it myself. And, and it's funny because when I look at other art forms, mm -hmm. people take breaks all the time. Oh, I know. Yeah. And nobody questions whether they're still a painter or still a musician or still a yeah. burlesque dancer. Writers, especially. You're always, yeah. writers, you're, mm -hmm. you're always that thing. And that thing always comes back to you. And you always get to connect with it. Mm -hmm. But as a contemporary artist, like as a dancer, it's like, oh, you're not dancing anymore. Yeah. Like you're not a dancer. Or I can't call myself a dancer because I'm not doing it actively anymore. Right. And that's so false. Oh, no, I really don't so agree false. with that. But it, it's a struggle, too, when you're going through it. Because, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I started reaching out to some more people that, I knew took breaks and I was like, Hey, like, can you tell me it's okay? And they're like, Oh yeah, take a break, take a year off. <laughs> That's so Don't smart. go to class. Yeah. Um, just go live life, go find out who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. Because I realized I associated myself with just being a dancer. Like mm -hmm. if I don't dance, what else do I have to give to this world? Right. And being 28 and thinking that you have no purpose, Oh God. Like yeah. that just like broke my own heart. Absolutely. So I had to go on this, like that, yeah, that journey of finding out who is Acacia without having mm -hmm. um, movement be her, her, her only thing that she does. And, mm -hmm. and I think that I bring more to the table now when I do teach a class because yeah. I really want my students to connect with who they are so that they know that there's more than just these four walls. Exactly. I'm sure. No, I'm sure uh -huh. that helps so much because then you're actually able to disconnect from being a dancer and from kind of the action of being a dancer. And then when you can come back to that definition, it's more balanced with who you actually are. It's not all you are anymore. Yeah. I mean, 
you never leave being a dancer. I think you walk no. down the street, people know who you are. Yeah, like you walk it. into a gym, you're the dancer. Like, I know. Just <laughs> We've talked that. about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it just like that never, it never leaves you. You still talk with your hands. You still close yeah. your cupboards with your devlapes. Like mm-hmm. that still happens. Exactly. Um, and I think that's why we shouldn't be afraid of breaks also, because that is just in you. People are going to see that in you or recognize that in you, even if mm-hmm. you're not actively working. And it gives you a moment to kind of, oh, like my income's not the same. So I can't mm-hmm. go take that workshop. I can't take that workshop because I can't dance right. physically. Um, so therefore, like, I'm going to miss that artist and blah, blah, blah. Like you get, you get yourself in like this like circle. And so having mm-hmm. to find my way out of that over time and heal whatever came up with that. Yeah. It's been a process. That sounds like a big process. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for sharing <laughs> that. That's a really, it's intense. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, one day it won't be so intense to yeah. talk about. Does it um, still feel pretty fresh? It still does because I, that was only two years ago. Yeah. And because of all of that, because I left my dance collective, um, because I found a physical therapy that I'm now trained in, mm-hmm. that that has now become my main source of income, mm-hmm. I've quit the serving job. Like I really did a full life three like a 180 yeah i'm having so many artists that have parallel careers still stay very connected with the dance world Mm -hmm. so they're still performing still creating still going things and then they're building up their side career gradually Mm -hmm. and i did i I feel like i seem to be like a 180 person like i swing (laughs) to the fences interesting crazy yeah um i'm learning how to find more balance but Mm -hmm. i had to create a different way of living and fix the deep things inside of me. So I really stepped away from dancing and now I'm trying to find out how to bring the dancing back. Mm, mm-hmm. So I'm still trying to like navigate where, you know, even at now as a solo artist, yeah. never thought I would be a solo artist. Right. Um, it's like having like pick, where am I interested in performing? What do I want to create now? Um, I think, and I also balance two other businesses. So it's like creating time and carving out time and allowing it to be easy Mm -hmm. because I know now that I can't do a million things. Right. Because I know that I'll break down. Right. When you put on too much, you're going to... It's good you learned that about yourself though, because some people I think crash and then don't quite learn the lesson and just pick up again and keep going yeah and you keep you I see these people from afar they're crashing and going Mm -hmm. and crashing and going and crashing and going and yes they're still going but they're crashing yeah and for me specifically I don't want to do that that's Mm -hmm. not to say that that what they're doing is wrong they're obviously pushing through they're obviously getting what they want Mm -hmm. fun for them right but I didn't fit in that bubble that that um, way of being mm-hmm. it didn't work for me and so finding something that works for me has been a process yeah has been interesting and I think my students I teach one day a week two different studios mm-hmm. and I think they keep me going because mm. they allow me to create and allow me to experiment um, and that keeps me in it and I've slowly started to dabble into other techniques like I'm going mm. to like hip-hop classes Fun. yeah and grooving classes and just seeing what else is available to me for movement. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then finding different solo creative processes, but not trying to like hustle to get the gig, but just mm -hmm. like allow it to happen naturally. And it has actually That's great. Um, a couple residencies here and there to work on a solo Oh, amazing! Uh, and get it going. I, I do have a grant that I have to actually use oh, wow. by That's the end exciting. of the year. So <laughs> really need to do it on this project. Yeah. Um, but just allowing it to come as it needs to mm -hmm. and recognizing that, um, okay, you're, you're not creating the normal dance pathway. Right. So you're creating your own. Yeah. What does that look like? Um, you know, you know, catching myself and getting frustrated with, with not being the dancer right. that is socially accepted, just being something else. Um, I relate and to also, that so right? much. <laughs> yeah. And also like listening to when someone comes up to you and says, Hey, it's really nice to see you. Um, like when you only see the people every now and then, mm -hmm. Yeah. like I saw people in a class the other day, I took like one class this year so far mm -hmm. and people are like, Oh, it's so nice to see you. Like, I love seeing you on like the Instagram and like following your journey. Mm -hmm. Um, like you're just as beautiful dancing as you were a year ago and just li <laughs> like listening to that yeah. and not feeling that you're okay. They're just being nice, mm -hmm. but like, you're just doing it a different way. Yeah. And you haven't gotten worse. No, you're exactly. not, you're not bad. Exactly. You're finding yeah. your own path through it all. And I think that can be kind of a rare thing in the dance world um, mm -hmm. because there, there are just these cookie cutter molds that we're supposed to fit into. And it's, it's also kind of a relatively new art form as a contemporary art form. So we're still creating the ways that it can look as a career, I think. And it sounds like you're yeah. doing that in a really thoughtful, individual way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just, I mean, what else is possible? That right. is a question I always ask. Like, what else, what else is possible in creating? What else is possible in making a living? Mm -hmm. What is possible? Like, do I want to be, like, I always saw myself being the artist that's like 90 and still doing something. Yeah. But like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, same. But, like, okay, I'm, I'm still going to be 90 and doing something. Yeah. Whatever that is. Can you share because you're like I totally relate to that too yeah um can you share your side of the story on that <laughs> yeah yeah I I just I definitely feel like I've done things very outside of the box probably my whole life but especially in terms of dance um I mean partly because I didn't go to a conservatory I didn't finish a dance program I'm technically you know a dropout and started traveling in order to learn dance and I have never really trained in one specific technique. Um, mm. I've never really danced with a company or a collective. It's all kind of been finding these mentors and teachers that I connect with and keeping in touch with them as much as possible, you know, often from afar. Mm -hmm. But that's been my way of kind of self-educating. And then it's been a really big process of training myself here in Tangier because I have no other teachers I can work with that are stably in the city. I've had some people come and go that I've worked with, but it's really been a self-training mostly and that's really unconventional as a dancer I think um mm -hmm. it's not an easy thing to self-teach um and I've often felt kind of stuck in terms of that and like I'm not going to be really accepted because I don't have a ballet background or because I don't have this background and who am I to call myself a dancer because of that and so it's ah. it's taken a really long time I think just probably in the past year, honestly, I've really been able to say I'm a dancer with full confidence, even though I've been dancing since oh. I was nine. 
I mean, I've, I've called myself a choreographer and dancer since I moved to Tangier because that's what I wanted to work in, but I never had the full confidence to really like put myself out there with it, if it makes sense. So It's so funny yeah. you say it's not <laughs> conventional because I think, not to say that it isn't unconventional. Maybe it is. Maybe that's, maybe I'm just too isolated from the dance world. So tell me if no, I'm wrong. I, I think, I think that it's, it, cause I, I feel like I did it this kind of similar. Mm-hmm. So like I got out of university. Yes, I went to the university, yeah. but I didn't go dance with other, I didn't seek a creative mentorship under, um, other professionals. Mm-hmm. We got out of university and we created warehouse right off the bat oh, wow. and we were doing our own stuff. We were creating our own shows mm-hmm. and I felt very, I felt very in, un, in unincluded, like mm-hmm. because we were doing our own thing. Yeah. I wasn't connected to those choreographers that were giving dancers jobs. Right. Yeah. Because I was always creating my own job. Interesting. And I think there's a few, there's, but what do we call that? Like, right. not to put it in a label, but when it's not the, I'm not an apprentice, I'm not a, I'm not training under this person to like get this job and like mentor from this person because I want to dance like that. Right. I want to do these things and I kind of work the system that way. But when we're all doing like our own thing, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like dance entrepreneurship, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's what you could call it. Yeah. <laughs> Just like true. creating your own creating your own uh, way of doing it. I, but yeah, when you don't, when you are removed from the teachers that you want to train from, mm-hmm. that's why I kind of feel with counter technique. Yeah. Like all my teachers, nobody's in Canada. Exactly. There's not a Canadian that's teacher. Hard. The yeah. closest one to me is San Francisco. Yeah. So yeah. How do you, that's such a great question. I definitely have been the one to just like fall by the wayside then. Yeah. <laughs> so like kudos to you for just oh, thanks. <laughs> sticking to it. I also wanted to talk to you about something because it's part of my kind of old insecurity as a dancer is there's this whole thing of a dancer being an artist versus an athlete. And Ah. yeah, (laughs) I was really excited to talk to you about this specifically, actually, because I don't know, when I was in high school, there was a really strict divide because I was in the dance company and then there was also dance team. And I was Uh very, yeah, I'm sure there's something similar. I was very anti-dance team and I was very adamant that I was not an athlete. And what I'm still shocked about is that through all of my trainings and through all of like, you know, even in university and high school, no teacher ever told me that I do actually need to be an athlete and that I do actually need to be training. And I don't know if that's just the case of the teachers that I was working with or if that's common, but I just, I wish someone had told me that because it's something that I had to learn for myself. And I only started cross training probably about three or four years ago. And since I have like, it's insane the difference that I see in my body and what I'm able to do and what I'm able to even create and choreograph. Yeah. And it's just, it's ridiculous to me that there's such a divide between the dancer as an athlete and the dancer as an artist and maybe some programs and some people are able to bring them together better, but I do think there's still a divide. Mm-hmm. So I'm, curi- I'm, I'm curious of your thoughts on that. Oh, there's so many thoughts. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny because in Canada, we're not as um, few schools have dance programs in their high schools. It's right. something that's growing. This, um, in the States mainly, too, I was lucky, honestly. Mainly hip hop mm-hmm. comes through schools because it's, it's fun. Yeah. Um, but 
We also don't have in Canada, there's not the whole like dance that dance teams. Mm-hmm. It's like dance teams is very much like an American thing. Oh, I'm sure. Like yeah. cheerleading and, yeah, and whatnot. Exactly. But I remember being in high school and being the dancer and then watching a soccer play, soccer people from soccer, mm-hmm. and then just like falling and not being able to get back up. I'm like, get, get back up. Like, why are you not just springing off the ground? Like, right. I just got kicked in the face and I still have to perform the next eight counts. Like, right. you got to go, people. Yeah. So I had this whole like, I'm a dancer and um, I'm better than an athlete mm. mentality as like, I got defensive as a young kid. Okay. I hated people making fun of dance because I'm like, it's really hard. You don't understand what I have to do. Yeah. Like, I don't get to sit out if I, whatever, get hit. Right. I get, I have to keep going. Like, so it goes on. So I got like defensive of that. And mm. then I went through a phase of like, I am an athlete because look how much I can do. I, I think when I finally took the label off, um, and then, the, oh, sorry, sorry. Mm. The athlete also came as like the tricks. Okay. Yeah. The dancers that would do all the tricks. I'm like, okay, so you're just, you're just performing a skill over and over again. And that's kind of like what sports are Mm -hmm. is just executing, um, some sports, since they all, but they execute skills. Right. That's it. And in dance is so open that Mm -hmm. there's so much room for subjectiveness Mm -hmm. that when I remove my, the remove the label of, okay, I'm not an, I'm not an athlete. I'm just a badass dancer. Yeah. It started to like be be good. Mm. But what that missing link is that athletes have is that that they cross train. Right. And they're told to. And, they're really And they're told yeah, to. they have to. Yeah. Um I think what I struggled with is that I only saw Pilates or yoga as the option for mm-hmm. cross-training as a dancer mm-hmm. because I heard so many people say, don't run, you'll train the wrong muscles. Oh, don't know. lift weight, you'll build you'll build muscle. Oh, God, I know. Um, you'll bulk up. So yeah. You'll bulk up. <laughs> yeah, Ugh, I know. I'm so tired that. of that, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm like, yeah, I get some muscle on you. I know. Yeah, I think more and more teachers, studio owners, if they don't want to see their students crash and burn at 17 years old, mm-hmm. they – have to bring in some sort of cross training into their programs, drop a ballet class and put in a strength and conditioning Mm -hmm. class. Um, I think more dancers need to put themselves in a gym to, yeah, change your dancing for the better. Exactly. So going back to the question, athlete and dancer, I think we are athletes on steroids because we have, we, to be a high level dancer mm-hmm. just for yourself you have to be able to function normally as a human being yeah and on top of that have the agility and the fluidity and the endurance to withstand the crazy shit that you put yourself through <laughs> exactly like the body <laughs> isn't supposed to bend that way all the time exactly but what it really should so. be more, and I think not all dancers really have, is just more body awareness and really being aware about what your body is saying to you, the messages it's sending you. And we have a lot of control, like you said, but I think not mm-hmm. everyone finds that really like deep in tune kind of connection mm-hmm. with themselves. I think you need to, well, yeah. I mean, 
I knew what my body was saying to me. Yeah. I were just ignoring it. Everything. I was just ignoring it. I also didn't, I also didn't know what another option was. Right. Like I didn't know because I heard careful about lifting weights, Mm -hmm. you're going to bulk up and build the wrong muscles. For years, I didn't seek that as an option for me. Right. Yeah. Until, and until it kind of became the only option for me. Yeah. Um, which was the best option for me and has changed my life and my career and and everything on top of that. And that's exactly what you're doing with your Resilient Dancer program. Yeah. Which is so exciting. Oh, I to sneak that in there. Yeah, of course. Of course. No, I've loved following it and seeing what you're doing with that. I think it's a really Mm -hmm. great program that you lead. Thanks. So yeah, I basically, um, any dancer around the world can join. I I, uh, give them monthly workouts and we start with some basics and we kind of get more fun as the months go on amazing and I always am thinking about the dancer while I'm doing the workouts and creating them for them so Mm -hmm. yeah it's been really amazing to see dancers you know start with like the goal of like I want to just build upper body strength as Mm -hmm. females we just that's not something that comes easy to us Mm -hmm. yet there's more and more floor work that's been asked of dancers oh my god and you need that upper body so I I I help you get comfortable and I help you build the strength for that and that's what's so important about this is then you can you have that like confidence in yourself and that trust in yourself so that you can Mm -hmm. just go out and create and go out and perform without worrying about the technical side of it quite as much Mm -hmm. it's so Mm -hmm. important I when I was when I was training for my last show in July of last year I knew the dance inside and out, mm-hmm. inside and out, but I knew that I needed the strength and the stamina to get through it. Mm-hmm. So I did my workouts um, a month up, a month leading up to that performance, mm-hmm. and I got through back-to-back performances like no problem. Amazing! It was so easy. Yeah, I couldn't say that a year ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You built it up. I wanted to ask you about the name of it because I like your choice of the word resilient dancer. Um, and I kind of, I wanted to make it a little bit more general towards the creative process overall for maybe any artist. Mm-hmm. And what do you think it means to be a resilient artist? Oh, yeah. I think resilient, just the word resilient. I didn't think about it too much when I came up with the name. It, just <laughs> it, it sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> kind of ran with it. I love it. Um, but when I looked up the definition of resilience, mm-hmm. Um, it's to be able to bounce back. Mm. It's to be able to endure uh, what's ever thrown your way. And I think as an artist in our creative process, we have ebbs and flows. We have ups and downs. We have different paths. We have different projects. Mm-hmm. Um, we're human at the end of the day. And so to be able to, with confidence and love and appreciation and excitement, always going from one thing to the next, Mm -hmm. learning what we needed to learn from a said project or, you know, working with a collaborator, learning whatever we need to learn and taking it to the next level. Mm. Um, Being resilient in your development, uh, allowing yourself to literally face plant, Mm -hmm. fall, break apart and come back, not with a vengeance, Mm -hmm. but with just the fact that you get to do what you get to do yeah and be okay with wherever it takes you and if you're not okay with it looking at it like okay well 
I don't have to go back and fix all my wrongs. I can just go from where I am right now and steer forward in a direction mm -hmm. that fits me in my process. If you want to change who you're working with, if you want to change the style that you're training in, if you want to change your countries, mm -hmm. that creative process of creating your career. Mm -hmm. um, if you can just stay strong in that, I think it just encompasses the word of just being able to bounce back, mm -hmm. weather the storm. That's beautifully like, said. Yeah. And I really, with like resilient dancers, the dancers that are in it, some of them are like creating right now. Some of them mm -hmm. are still students. Some of them are getting their master's in movement therapy. Amazing. And it's about keeping them able mm -hmm. so that when they're ready to come back or ready to jump into the next project, if they're like in between mm -hmm. creative processes, they don't dip so far Right. that they're able to keep this like consistent resiliency so that when the, when that inspiration to get back in it comes, they're ready. Mm -hmm, exactly. So like as a, as a creative person, you know, s still staying inspired by other things so that when you get a, you get asked to perform or you, you come up with this idea to create mm -hmm. that you, you are still connected to all the little bits and pieces of you right. and that they never go away. Mm -hmm. You I don't have to that. let one fall. Exactly. So, so hard. I'm learning that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a process still. It all is. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, what are you, are you working on anything uh, artistically at the moment? Yes. So um, I'm not actively pursuing it, but I am putting it into the world and like just kind of every now and then I'll think about it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the first kind of time in my life where I'm really open to work with other artists mm. um, as someone that they like to work with. So like, um, it's always been me creating the works with someone else mm -hmm. to do the projects, but I'm really interested in being just the, the person that helps facilitate someone else's idea. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm artistically working on that from a very energetic standpoint, just allowing the creations when they need to happen to come to me. Mm -hmm. um, but as a solo artist, I do have a solo mm -hmm. that I've been working on over the past two years wow. and um, it kind of has just like little iterations of it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm ready to like get the sound composer together. Now I'm ready to get the visual artist in, um, create some, create an atmosphere for this work. Um, that's about very much the association and disassociation of my past mm -hmm. dance dancing. And I'm very inspired right now um, about like, time and energy and how mm. we have all this history as just a human being um but how we don't have to link ourselves to any of that mm. because i have two different ethnic parents yeah but i don't fully fit into any of them okay so yeah i kind of like dabble in the solo of like the association and disassociation and like really actively choosing to just create my own version of life as Acacia and not be influenced by someone else's perspective of how centuries live their lives. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I have a couple questions that I always uh, end with. And one okay. of them is, do you have any daily rituals that help enhance your creative life? I write every morning. Um, I write affirmations or uh, 
how I want my life to be mm -hmm. in as if it's happened. Hmm. So kind of manifesting, yeah. would you call it? Yeah, it, it falls under the line of like manifesting and that like energy work, law of attraction. Mm -hmm. It falls under that, but I don't, that's like breakfast, coffee, writing. Those are before I leave the house, even at six o'clock in the morning. Hmm. I just, I rather put the good thoughts in my brain the first time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first definitely. thing in the morning. That's so important. So yeah, that's been my ritual for about, going on three years now and just a page no more than a page no pressure yeah, yeah I love that I've been writing at night lately and I really like that as well for kind of a wrap-up of the day um mm -hmm. but I like the morning idea as well because like you said it sets you up with with good thoughts and good intentions mm -hmm. and everything mm -hmm. that's lovely yeah there's there's a lot of research out there that uh supports the the law of attraction of if you think it mm-hmm it will happen, even if it's so far-fetched. Hmm. So, yeah, because that's how we create, yeah. right? Even as a creative person, we have to think of the piece that we want to create, think of the people we want to work with, mm -hmm. and then it happens. But we have to think about it first. Right, exactly. So, it's kind yeah, of, that's why I do that. yeah, I've had a lot of conversations with people about that lately. And what's interesting is my, my husband believes that too. We talk about this a lot, but he also says there's also an element of you have to think it and then detach from it and then let it go yes. and kind of send it out there because if you yes. keep it really close and you keep it like something you're kind of like desperate for it's too stifled almost yeah. this is getting very it, like energetic but you yeah it's it, it was interesting you, it, when you keep it that close to you and you keep thinking you don't have it mm -hmm. the you don't have it is what is the energy of that yeah uh, you know, like even when I was getting my grants, mm -hmm. I wrote down, down like so excited that we received our Canada Council grant. Mm -hmm. Like, thank you so much to all the taxpayers. <laughs> um, really looking forward to like producing the show. Yeah. And we got both of our grants. And one of those grants, I didn't know for nine months. Wow. That's incredible. But we just kept doing it. And yeah. I kept like every morning I'd be like, oh, thank you so much for my grant. Like, that was so nice of you. <laughs> and then amazing. like, let it go. And then yeah. two months later, I'd be like, oh, thank you so much for my grant. <laughs> Completely forgot about the grant. Wow. And then it just pops up. Yeah. That's amazing. So yeah, you have to let yeah. the, attach the, the attachment go. Yeah, for sure. exactly. Yeah. The other thing that's a little bit linked to that, I guess, is uh, do you have any outside interests that are kind of fun, maybe surprising to know about you that are seemingly unrelated to your working life? I can't buy cards for people. Okay. Like I have to make them. I don't do it as often as I used to, mm -hmm. but I make all my Christmas cards. I love making birthday cards and I love doing like water paintings. And my process has gone from like scrapbooking mm -hmm. to drawing to now water painting. And they're really bad, but like I can't actually like physically pay for a card yeah why would you when you so can make like, something lovely yeah when I can make it um yeah. and so the, I yeah I guess that's just a random thing I love that, that I like to do it also completely tunes me out mm -hmm. like I can't think about work or life right. while I'm making the cards mm -hmm. and it gets me connected to my hands mm -hmm. um and also so gets you connected to the person you're making the card for, which is also another yeah. nice element of it. Yeah, totally. So it's it's my one way I can detach, mm -hmm. um, but be very attaching, like because mm -hmm. it's so much. Like I love when I get to hand it to someone, and I was like, oh, 
did you make that? Yeah, I did. So like, so sweet. you're welcome, but just like, yay. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been such an amazing conversation. I feel like I know you already. I feel like we've known Thank each other you. forever. Likewise. <laughs> Likewise. I wish we could go on talking forever about dance and everything, but um, we'll next wrap time. it up for now. Yeah, next time. There will be more. Great. Yeah. Um, awesome. So where can people find you? Um, they can find me um, using my name, AcaciaDB, on Instagram, um, Facebook, slash AcaciaDB, uh, my website, AcaciaDebat.com. Mm-hmm. Um, very simple to that. Yes, I have this whole resilient company, um, but I put everything under my name. Perfect. Thank you so much for you. being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Of course. For links to connect to Acacia and see more of her work, head over to the show notes at rubyjosephine.com under the podcast tab. You can also follow this podcast on Instagram or Facebook at Process Piece and get these episodes delivered directly to your inbox along with a whole lot of extra inspiration by subscribing to my newsletter, The Sunday Pancake, Letters in Reverence of Creative Rituals. Head over to rubyjosephine.com slash subscribe. If you've been enjoying Process Piece, I would so appreciate you choosing to support this podcast in any or all of three ways. One, by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Two, share your favorite episode with a friend or on social media. And three, make a contribution at buymeacoffee.com slash rubyjo. Thanks again to Acacia for sharing this lovely conversation with me. A huge thanks to Cooper Lee Smith for creating the original music. And a special thanks to you for listening.